Thanks, guys, for joining. Um, this is definitely the first Spotify live room that I'm doing, but we're going to be doing this quite a bit here in the coming months, I would say. Uh, right now, the plan is to do one every time there is at least a commitment, but then also sometime like in the month of June where there's these big visit weekends. Um, each of those weekends will also get their own special Spotify live room. Um, after that, I think it'll just come back down to anytime there's a commitment, just because there's not a lot of condensed big visit weekends after that um, until the season starts. But then anytime there's a game uh, during the season, we're going to try to do a game preview on Thursday and then a game recap either Sunday or Monday. Um, and then also anytime there's recruiting visitors coming to any of those games, we're going to go ahead and talk about those. Uh, during those um, those Spotify live rooms. But for today, we're going to keep it just about on-field Michigan State football topics because next week uh, we don't have a date yet, but we're going to be doing one of these same kind of rooms just for recruiting. So we'll, we'll give this one um, a special sort of um, designation of just for football topics, whether it's spring camp, depth charts, what kind of formations we can see next year, um, just all sorts of topics related to the actual football side of things. And then we'll save all the recruiting questions and um, those kind of topics for in the next few days when we do the recruiting room. But um, so I guess uh, the first thing that we can kind of talk about is the uh, offensive and defensive defensive depth charts that I dropped uh, a week or so ago. Obviously, talked to Corey and Steven about that uh, before dropping it. And that was kind of what our consensus was. But I guess, Corey, I'll, I'll ask you, what is something that intrigues you when just thinking about Michigan State football's uh, position battles or depth charts? Or what does your mind go to first when you just kind of think about things in that realm? Uh, the linebacker room for me, I think, uh, just with the adding uh, Aaron Brule and Jacoby Winman to uh Kale Halliday, um, Ben Van Sumeren had a really good uh, offseason where he's really starting to understand the game. So now he's able to play fast with all his athletic ability and kind of take advantage of that. So for me, definitely the linebacker room just because. And then I guess, too, I forgot to mention Darius Snow moving to linebacker right. is also a, another big addition. Uh, the returns there have been good what he's doing. So. Yeah, linebackers the the spot where I think you instantly created depth really quickly, even with the loss of a uh, Covarrubias Crouch, where he right. went to the portal. Yeah, I think uh, even just thinking about the linebacker room for various reasons, it just brings so much intrigue because one, like you said, Darius Snow moving there tells us a little something about what the staff is thinking in terms of their scheme. So. Last year, Michigan State had Darius Snow and before that, Michael Dowell in that nickel spot. And that's kind of what some college schools do when it comes to having a nickel that's kind of a thumper. But in the NFL, teams that run a nickel defense, you kind of see a cover corner. I know one of the better ones a few years ago, Dominique Rogers Cromartie kind of was the poster child of that role. But like teams that run a full-time nickel defense – have a cover corner, even at the NFL level. So that's what the Michigan State staff seems to be transitioning to here by changing uh, Darius Snow's uh, position to linebacker. So that should go a long way in improving the pass defense. You're going to be able to have someone that can actually cover people in the slot. You can have a versatile corner that can cover downfield. 
added into the formation where before that was a thumper and then you had two safeties, neither of which are known for their coverage skills. And then basically just your outside corners were the only ones that were doing the brunt of the covering. So you have a kind of a completely different defensive identity here if you have a true cover corner at that nickel spot. So that just looking at the linebacker room in that regard, it tells you a little bit about what they want to do with the scheme. Another thing about the scheme that you can kind of see from the linebacker room is just from how much talent they have, they might, in order to get a lot of that talent on the field at once, try to have some flexible looks. And maybe having three linebackers on the field with one of them being a stand-up defensive end, I know that's the thing I always talk about, and that's even the way I formatted my depth chart piece, is somebody like Jacoby Winman or Aaron Brule, both that were really effective at rushing the passer, passer out of the linebacker spot, as well as when Winman himself was a true down defensive end, those guys can definitely get after the quarterback. So you could see Halliday and Brule as the traditional linebackers in the base, and then maybe Winman as a stand-up edge, where the other side defensive end, it might be uh, Petrowski or Bogle or Tank or whoever is producing the best. Um, or that can just be a, a specialist sort of formation, a maybe a third down look or something like that. But the extra bodies and the extra talented contributors in the linebacker room have given this defense a versatility that is just really, really exciting. And then that's probably the most exciting thing to me. But one thing that is up there in terms of excitement is the depth in the defensive backfield. Corey, you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, getting Amir Speed from Georgia, the Georgia transfer, I think uh, that's a huge addition that maybe some people aren't picking up on how big of that is that one was. Because he had started for Georgia the first three games, then he got an injury, and then at places like Georgia, Alabama, some of those schools where you are constantly churning in uh, four- and five-star recruits every year, Sometimes you give you lose that window to an injury and you lose your job and that's kind of what happened with him at Georgia because they had uh, Ringo Kaylee Ringo the five star freshman out of Arizona where he started to look good and then you're gonna look at it as a coach you're like well this guy's playing good and we have him for at least another two years maybe three so then that's kind of where they went in that direction so now you've get a fresh start at Michigan State if you're a mere speed where, uh, I don't know, if you saw him in person, I saw him in person a couple of times, like that guy stands out like crazy. Right. Uh, where he's a legit six foot three. He Somehow he looks taller than six foot three, uh, long arms. Uh, but what I've heard from him out of practice is that he's absolutely uh, kind of taken over that role. He understands the defense and what Mel Tucker's trying to do because they do a lot of the same things at Georgia and Michigan State. Right. And then uh, Ronald Williams, I thought he was a guy where he struggled early last season, but you saw about midway through the season, he started taking a step. And by the end of the season, he was actually one of the better uh, yeah. defensive backs on the team. So I think those will be the two guys that you're seeing starting yeah. at the outside corners. And then obviously the safeties you have uh, – Xavier Henderson returning for his extra year due to COVID. Uh, he'll be a captain, uh, knows the defense with a, like the back of his hand. Right. And uh, then obviously the free safety spot, you probably still go with Angelo Gross. I think he'll end up taking that spot. And then yeah. 
the the box safety that's where it gets interesting do they take a marquee lowry there chester kimbrough something like that i think those guys make a lot of sense because i think they are how you mentioned when we were talking about the linebackers and the changes we're kind of seeing uh where i think you're gonna see a cover corner go down in there yeah and then you got some depth behind them too with the young guys i think uh uh Jaden mangum uh true freshman he enrolled early he's gonna definitely see the field as, as at the safety spot as a true freshman and caleb coley anybody that's followed us knows how we felt about him as a recruit uh another early enrollee that got here early and he's been doing really yeah. well so so a lot more depth uh right if you look at the room they're a lot longer they're a lot taller you're starting to see uh the vision that mel tucker had in place starting to kind of pop up now when you're starting to look at the body types right and i think one of the big things is uh, like you said, a lot of these guys that are coming back, they, they're going to be healthier. Like Ronald Williams was the one you touched on the most. And he's a guy that he, earlier on, he was kind of looking rough. Um, and then as the season went on, he got better and better. And then obviously, unfortunately, he was really banged up for the Purdue and Ohio State games. But in that middle of the season sort of stretch, he was taking big leaps forward. Marky Lowry, whenever he was healthy, which wasn't very often, he was just uh, much better than anticipated. Maybe our expectations were low because he was a redshirt freshman and he didn't play at Louisville, but he came in as if he was um, kind of a little more seasoned than that. So you return both of those guys who were looking pretty good when they were healthy. You add Amir Speed, who seems to be the best corner in the entire room. Charles Brantley is a year older. Um, maybe Chester Kimbrough, who didn't have a great year last year, um, maybe if he's playing inside now that there's that position of the cover corner nickel, maybe he has a slightly better performance there. But like that's a lot of options, and the defense, at least from a pass perspective, should be much better than last year. And I guess the pass rush is still kind of a concern just because there's not a lot of proven guys. But I think Jeff Petrowski should do a, a decent job there. He should be pretty productive. And then you have a lot of flexibility with what the linebackers bring and all of them being able to rush the passer. And if you have a guy like Brandon Jordan, it's not unfathomable that a guy like Tank Brown could reach his potential a year sooner than expected. Or a guy like Chris Bogle might finally be able to utilize his frame in an effective way and kind of get some production. So all in all, I think the defense is very, very intriguing. And I don't know if you have any final thoughts on the defense, but I'm very excited to see how the defense pans out uh, once once the season starts. Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of Petrowski. He's going to be one of those guys that's just a, a great college football player. Uh, he's gonna. There's nobody that's going to benefit more from uh, or or utilize what Brandon Jordan teaches him more because that guy just uh, sleeps football, lives uh, everything. Like he's just a football right. player. And Bogle, I think that's a someone where you'll see him early. He'll make a play here and there, and he'll kind of flash. But as the season progresses, I think he, you, you'll see him get comfortable as a defensive end and just kind of let his natural talent take over and really get rolling. So I think it's a defense right. that I expect to to be a whole lot better than last year, but it's also a defense that I think is going to get better, like – as the season goes on. Right. 
for sure, especially with all the new moving pieces and stuff they have. So, yeah, a lot of excitement on paper to begin with, and then also a lot of potential there to get better as the season goes on. So kind of moving on to the offense here before we kind of open it up to some questions, uh, just the points that, that are in our mind. Uh, quarterback, you know what you have there. Um, I think Peyton Thorne uh, had, a, had a great season last year. He made um, a lot of throws that uh, some quarterbacks for Michigan State years before that had kind of missed some of those uh, throws were like, oh, he's wide open. Why didn't he hit him? And I know um, sometimes we start taking those for granted, but that was one thing that stuck out to me that he didn't get a lot of credit for, to be honest, is he didn't leave a lot of plays on the field. If there was a play to be made, he kind of made it. So um, I do kind of have some, not reservations, but I do want to see him be a little more consistent, especially now that Kenneth Walker is not going to be there. If you kind of think about, I think, half of the Indiana game, or maybe most of the Indiana game, half of the um, yeah, half of the bowl game, uh, most of the Nebraska game, um, and you kind of just pick apart these different portions of the season where when Kenneth Walker wasn't doing much or when he was out, what was Peyton Thorne doing in those moments? And the results in, in that regard aren't great. But at the same time, that's probably not something you can hold against him because the offense is very different when Kenneth Walker's out. But I'm just saying that that might be something to watch for. And I, I don't think that he's a shoe in to go out there and dominate. But uh, obviously, you like what you have there in Thorne. At running back, um, we can talk about that a little more in detail. But they should not have too bad of a chance um, at having a, a good running game this year with Broussard and Berger combined. Obviously, neither one of them by themselves are, are nearly as good as Kenneth Walker, but having two guys fresh and contributing um, in a more even role should provide a better punch for the overall running game. But um, I guess first we can stop there for a second, Corey. What thoughts do you have um, about the running backs? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, people, I think most people understand uh, what Kenneth Walker was and how special he was. So so you're not going to get Kenneth Walker out of one of them, but you can get pretty close to the same production with the two of them combined or if they add – if Eli Collins makes a comeback or uh, Jordan Simmons or somebody. Uh, like So, I mean, it'll be a little bit more of a committee. Right. But also, I mean, you got guys that do things differently. Like Broussard's got a lot of that Kenneth Walker in him where he can – make you miss but run with power right uh and then uh burger's a good power back uh he'll get to the outside move the pile and then even a guy like harold joiner where like obviously it's not when he's out on the field it's not going to be the handoff but he's a really dangerous threat in the the passing game uh, i think he's one of the better pass catchers like he, he's one of those guys that you won't see put up huge numbers in college most likely but then he'll go to some nfl team or something and be used as just like a pass catching guy and do some things there so i mean i think uh he gives you gives you a different look because michigan state really hasn't utilized the running backs a lot in the passing game yeah i I think think, i think joiner is elite as a, a pass catcher out of the backfield so i think it's a good opportunity for that to be implemented Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Kenneth Walker could have been good in that regard, too. But since since they never really used him in that way, my expectations for Joyner are low. But I do agree that he has that in him. Um, As for kind of the rest of the running backs, 
I'm not too high on Jordan Simmons and Eli Collins only because Eli Collins, uh, I would have expected him to have a much bigger role in the bowl game. He was finally healthy at that point. There was no Kenneth Walker and Jordan Simmons was still kind of getting some touches over him. And I, I don't, I'm not the biggest um, proponent of Jordan Simmons touches over Eli Collins, at least not last year, not with the vision we saw out of Simmons. So I think that that kind of told me that Collins is probably out of the the pecking order, or at least further down than yeah. a lot of people might think. Uh, but as far as Broussard and Berger go, like Berger is one of those guys where he's not going to leave any yards on the field. Whatever is blocked, he's going to get them. He's not going to mess around. He's not going to dance around and try to be too cute and only get three yards and five are blocked. Seven yards are blocked, he'll get you seven. So. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year in Jared Broussard, and I think people are really sleeping on what he can bring. I think a lot of that is people being tr- trying to be reasonable and not trying to make Kenneth Walker comparisons, and that's good to see because I think a lot of times the fan base um, does get a little kind of carried away in terms of comparing it to past players, whether it's a Le'Veon or whatnot. But Jared Broussard, he's a guy that has a lot of wiggle, a lot of acceleration, and he can move piles for a guy his size. I think his biggest difference from Kenneth Walker is he doesn't have home run speed. So maybe a run where Kenneth Walker could get you maybe 40. Uh, Berger, I mean, uh, Broussard might get you maybe 25, 28. But at the same time, he will make quite a few guys miss and has a little bit of that eraser element to his game. And he explodes through the hole at at the line of scrimmage. So he has quite a few of Kenneth Walker's traits there. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. And, yeah, like I said, people aren't wrong to temper expectations just because there's probably not going to be another Kenneth Walker walking through those doors. But he has a lot of Kenneth Walker to him. Um, I guess moving on to wide receiver, you have your wide receiver one and Jaden Reed. Your slot's going to be Trey Mosley. What do you think happens with the starting outside receiver spot that Jalen Naylor vacated, Corey? Uh, I think that's going to be Keon Coleman. Uh, mm-hmm. is a freshman last year. I don't know if he kept his red shirt. I don't remember how many games he played. It was pretty close. But uh, I think he's going to have a, a really big year where you look at him and just physically he's just different. There's not very many wide receivers that are built as thick as he is that are as athletic and fast as him. So I think he's just a matchup problem where you saw – in the bowl game, especially, he kind of got uh, some extended looks there and the ball to him. And I think maybe even in the Ohio State game when things went off the rails. And, like, he's just the guy that he's going to be a lot for a corner to have to cover by himself because right. he just physically can overwhelm you because he's just bigger than most of the corners. He can outjump most of the corners. Uh, and then he's just a hard worker. So I think uh, – I expect a, a really big year out of him going along with Trey Mosley and Jaden Reed. And I think Mosley too, he's almost the, the forgotten guy because he's just dependable every year and yeah. he gets better each year. Uh, I've heard like he's taken up another step. He's gotten a little stronger. Uh, so, so I think the passing game, like the talent between the wide receiver group, uh, the tight ends, which we'll probably talk about here soon. And then uh, Peyton Thorne getting an extra year of confidence and just being the guy. Uh, I think the passing game will very easily be able to kind of pick up what, what if you lose anything from the running game right. with Walker gone. 
Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Keon's one of those guys that he has the measurables in the frame to just make NFL scouts salivate over what he can bring to the table. I think he's going to have a really bright future. That's kind of why a little part of me always cringes anytime people want him to get tons of minutes uh, for basketball and want him to take that as far as it can go. And I think Keon, if he were to, I mean, so far it's not like it's stunted his development, so I can't be too concerned about it. But I think Keon can be an NFL wide receiver. He can be a day two pick, in my opinion. So um, there's no indication he isn't taking football seriously. So I'm not trying to say anything like that. But I think if he if he like really really starts developing here and taking off, you could see a really high draft pick there in Keon. So uh, really have high hopes for him. And then, yeah, I think that's going to be your starting wide receivers. And you have guys like Montori Foster that did well when they were um, in relief of Naylor when he was injured. And you have Jeremy Bernard, who I think will be wide receiver five, yeah. uh, right behind Torrey, maybe even wide receiver four uh, through yeah. the middle of the year. But I think you have some good options there at wide receiver. And then there's guys further down like Fitzpatrick and uh, Cade McDonald. And you, you have you have uh, no worries on what you have at wide receiver, in my opinion. Yeah, so, same with uh, the other freshmen, too, because they had a pretty good freshman class where – Antonio Gates, he's going to come right. in, obviously, be a lot more uh, uh, game ready with it, learning from his dad right. on how to route run and hands and all that, where he's not going to blow you away with his speed numbers, but he, he's one of those guys that just gets open uh, because he knows how to run his routes and sell them. So I think right. I think there's a lot, a lot to like at wide receiver. Uh, again, how we talked about the defense getting better as the season goes, I think you'll see that with the offense too because there is some new pieces and young guys kind of that will play yeah. big roles. Yeah, I think uh, that pretty much sums it up for receiver. Michigan State's in a good spot there, good spot at running back, good spot at quarterback. Um, tight end is another spot where they're looking pretty good because of uh, Daniel Barker. Uh, DJ Barker, he was the Illinois record holder for touchdowns by a tight end in program history. For the first time, Jay Johnson is going to have a reliable pass-catching tight end uh, who's going to be able to be a focal point for the offense. Uh, when I was watching full-game footage of Jay Johnson's offense at Colorado right after he was hired, I saw that a lot of high-leverage situations, like a third and eight, third and nine, they went to tight ends quite a bit. Like, tight ends were not putting up major numbers in Jay's offense. Like they were not running around like Travis, like uh, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, but in these important situations, they were a crucial safety valve for Jay. So I think that's going to be a new wrinkle to the offense. You're not going to see Barker putting up eight catches, 113 yards, two touchdowns, but I think you're going to see him make quite a few clutch catches here because of the way that Jay Johnson knows to use those tight ends in high leverage situations. After that, for now, in my piece, I had Tyler Hunt as the tight end too. And that's just because of the fact that Malik Carr needs to do some more work in his blocking and also show a little more effort when it comes to to developing that skill. Um, He might do that here in the fall, so I can definitely see myself making Malik Carr tight end too. I think his his offensive pass-catching skills – are probably going to make it where he'll still get um, a lot of snaps, but his uh, development in, in the blocking area is not coming along uh, satisfactorily. Uh, and then Jack Nickel, who I've said previously many times, he's one of the best blocking tight ends um, in the entire 2022 class, if not the best. 
He might be the best blocking tight end that Michigan State has right now. I haven't really looked at Barker's passing or blocking footage, but yeah, that's kind of what you got there. And Masunas is coming in, he's intriguing. But Corey, what are your overall thoughts on the tight end room? Yeah, I think Barker is a big addition uh, just because it gives Jay Johnson finally a threat at the tight end position where, like you said, like on the third downs and all of that. But also once you get into that red zone and it shrinks down a little bit, he's a guy that you can uh, just get the ball to in a tight spot and uh, let him make plays and do what he does, which is catch touchdowns, which is, you know, the all-time leader at Illinois. And then uh, I think you covered Malik's situation pretty well. And uh, I guess the two freshmen are intriguing. It just depends on what they, what Malik Carr and Hunt do behind Barker because Jack Nickel and Mike Masunis out of Arizona, both of those guys are, really rare because they're coming in physically yeah. ready to, to block at the the college level. And they, they honestly could be the two best blockers on the, in the tight end room as true freshmen, just because they're bigger, stronger dudes than they were recruiting prior. Right. So uh, like, I mean, you saw videos of one video of Mike Masunas pulling a semi truck and, <laughs> and a, a video the other day, uh, of him catching these crazy one-handed throws when he was working out with Nico Marischal and some other yeah. uh, top D1 Power 5 quarterbacks back home in Arizona. So so I think the tight end room's coming. I think uh, yeah. Daniel Barker helps accelerate it for this one, one year that you have him, so then you can yeah. kind of pass it off to Malik Carr if he does the things he needs to do, or Jack Nickel, Mike Masunas, uh you already got Brandon Parachek coming in. So you're starting to see yeah. that, that room take shape and For uh, sure. become a factor after, I mean, it had been since Josiah Price was here in 2016, like since he left, <laughs> I mean, there's really been a non-factor position. Yeah, no doubt. Then lastly, offensive line uh, before we get to the question. So, Offensive line, I guess it's the same way that we've described it the entire offseason so far, where starting-wise, uh, Michigan State's in a good spot. I'm thinking left to echo Jarrett Horst, left left guard J.D. Duplain, center Nick Samak, right guard Brian Green, right tackle Spencer Brown. That's pretty good. I don't think you have many complaints there. Um, I guess Spencer Brown, he, he's unproven, but he, he played well in the bowl game. The issue comes after that, where if there's any injuries, you're not in a great spot. I guess if your center gets hurt, um, you can move Brian Green to center, and that's not too much of a blow. And then you can move Gino Vandemark up to the starting lineup, maybe somebody else. Uh, Maybe Matt Carrick, if he recovers fully and in time to be ready for the season. So I guess on on the interior, you can stomach an injury or two. But at tackle, um, there's some concern there. What would happen if there's even a single injury? Uh, Corey, I know you've heard good things about Ethan Boyd and especially Brandon Baldwin. But, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, what do you think of the offensive line once you get past the, the five starters? Yeah, I echo what you'd say. Uh, the interior, I think they can they can handle a guy or two being out for a little bit of a time because I, I think Gino Vandermark is pretty close to being ready. Uh, right. You got uh, and then like you said, the flexibility. So for me, it comes down to the tackle position. I think you're good with your starters. 
Um, I've heard good things with Baldwin, but obviously he hasn't been in a game yet, so it's going to be a learning right. curve there. And and ideally, it's probably a year earlier than you want to have to put Correct. any real real urgency into defending on him. Uh, same with Boyd. Uh, so like, I guess we're all kind of looking at that transfer portal <laughs> because there, there's there's got to be somebody out there in the portal that can kind of fit what you're looking for that can improve the depth because you don't necessarily have to get a starter out of the portal. You just got to get a guy yes. that, that can play if he has to be a starter. Right. Right. So, so I think, I think that's still, a, we're getting closer and closer to camp and all of that guys are starting to trickle in uh, back on campus to start working. So I think, that's the area that you, uh, you you need to see that one spot. I know they're looking for it, uh, so hopefully hopefully they find that. Otherwise, uh, you're getting into the danger zone because yeah. a JD Duplain, uh, Nick Samek, uh, Brian Green, Matt Carrick, uh, as good as they are interior wise, they're not guys that you would want to slide outside like you were able to right. with Kevin Jarvis in the past though. So I think, I think it's paramount that you find that guy that you can at least say, all right, he's not perfect, but if needed, he can get us through the season. For sure. I think um, that sums it up pretty well. And yeah, like you said, when you're looking in the portal, you're not looking for someone that's just going to come in and, and dominate or be a surefire starter I mean, obviously you take somebody like that if you can, but really the baseline should be, are they more ready this year to play snaps than Brandon Baldwin and Ethan Boyd? And if the answer is yes, then that person is good enough to take. And like you said, those guys, they should contribute here down the road. I think Ethan Boyd was one of the more underrated players from his cycle, but it's just they were never supposed to contribute. Nobody expected them to contribute this year. Um, The redshirt sophomore year, so the season after this one, that's where they were really going to thrive and play. So it's a year early. Um, all of Cap's recruits this upcoming year are basically redshirt freshmen, and that's the class that was the Zoom class. So they didn't have any momentum. They had shaky evaluations like everyone across the nation. And like I said, they're as old as redshirt freshmen. So it's not a good shape, and when the previous staff doesn't leave you any depth, um, I think the previous staff did a great job with guys like Duplain and Samak and Brown. Um, but the key of having a successful um, offensive line room is to have depth. And that's where a lot of those misses in the years after that and recruiting and evaluations and mismanagement of when they're taking commitments from which players and who else is still on the board and who they choose over another player person on the board. That's where you have situations of guys that are now ending up at Ball State and we're not. Um, whereas if those guys would have been the ones playing had there been an injury. So that's going to finally be felt. That problem is going to be felt this year if there are any injuries. Uh, Mel Tucker and these guys weathered the storm a, a little bit in the past, but this is now where you're going to see the effects of um, a downturn in offensive line recruiting under the previous regime. And Because uh, they had a lot of guys that could play games because you saw the guys that left, A.J. Curry, Kevin Jarvis, and all those guys that left. They were solid quality offensive linemen. The issue was they were signed by the staff years ago. They were 50-year seniors. Recruiting kind of really took a downhill turn after that. So that's why this is going to be the talent gap where you finally see that. But hopefully there's no injuries and that won't come to pass. But, um, yeah, so I guess now we can start taking some questions. And 
there's a lot of great questions here, a lot of good, fun, hypothetical ones, some X's and O's ones. Um, so I guess right here we'll start with um, – thanks for the question on the mixtape, Jason. But uh, we'll start uh, with Mike's question about, as a season ticket holder, I'm curious, favorite place to sit at Spartan Stadium and why? So I guess, Corey, before, before we were in the press box, uh, what would be your answer there? <laughs> the press box is my answer. Um, <laughs> um, I, I had someone uh, – I went, I went to a game uh, – last year as a fan and someone gave me a ticket to go check out the game so i had the padded seat i was on the 49 yard line (laughs) uh i I think uh 20 rows 29 rows up that 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 was good yeah yeah i think for me the answer would be um maybe it's a cop out but uh sitting in the student section as far right as you can go so as close to midfield as you could go which i want to say is like the 15-ish yard line um maybe the 10-yard line so you're still with all the students that are rowdy and loud and at the same time you have a pretty good view um that's where i saw some of the better games i know that's where i saw saw the saquon barkley penn state game where there was that rain delay and um, a lot of good memories from the very, very far right of the student section for my four years there. But, um, yeah, I would say I, Michigan State has a stadium where there's not really a bad seat in the whole house. Um, it's built pretty vertically, and you can do that when you have only 75,000 seats as opposed to, like, 109,000, 110,000. So architecturally speaking, um, that's a great advantage for Michigan State and allows them to have not a bad seat in the house. But for the next question here um, – what exactly is going on with the creative team? Why is everyone leaving all of a sudden? Do you, does it worry you at all with OVs coming up quick? Uh, thanks for the question, Justin. Um, I guess for the creative team, really what it comes down to is that's an industry in college football that just doesn't pay a lot. And there's also not a lot of chances for people to move up unless they leave. It's, it's one of those places where you leave in order to get a promotion. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. And that's not really anything new. I guess the only thing that's new here is that two guys are leaving kind of like within the same week. But usually you do see um, every creative team around the nation kind of lose two or three guys in offseason. And I guess Michigan State has a bigger microscope on it just because um, the creative team here does a really good job and they've been very um, visible on Twitter. And Michigan State Twitter itself does a good job of following those guys and retuning their work. But really, every school has a lot of drastic turnover in the creative department. But at those schools, some fan bases don't even know who their creative employees are and things of that nature. Um, But, yeah, it's just a field where there's a lot of turnover. And I guess those guys probably aren't paid as much as they should be. But Michigan State doesn't pay them any less than the rest of the NCAA. They baseline that with what they're paying elsewhere. And unfortunately, it's just not that high of a sum. But, Corey, anything you want to add there? Uh, yeah, I think you got it. And then as far as does it affect official visits? No, uh, oh, they yeah, still have sure. guys that know how to uh, yeah. do what they're doing. They have an entire team uh, where maybe they're not as visible on Twitter, but but they know what they're doing. So and, yeah. uh, at the end, at the end of the day, uh, DJ Hicks isn't going to uh, make his decision based off of his picture or graphic. Right. Uh, so I mean, and- like. Yeah. It, it sucks, and they make an impact, and they're important, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes that right. know what they're doing, and they're just going to step in and 
be totally fine with it. Right. And those people stepping in, like they're probably only going to need to be really, really heavily relied on for a very short amount of time because with these kind of positions, there's a lot of people applying to try to replace the guys that left. And Michigan State would have a fully staffed creative department pretty soon. It's just in that short term, yeah, they'll be a little understaffed, but the people that are still there, um, I know they have a lot of interns and, and there's some full-time people left too. They know how to run those programs. They know how to run the 360 camera and all those cool tips and tricks that the full-time guys were just using. So it's going to be a very short time where those guys are doing more heavy lifting than usual, but I don't have any concerns in that regard and it shouldn't be too long until they're fully staffed again. Um, okay, so Jason asked, which players will lead in sacks, interceptions, and tackles? This is a, this is a good question. Uh, Corey, you can go first here. Sacks. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I think I'm going to go with an inside guy. I'll go uh, for the curveball. I'll go Jacob Slade uh, leads okay. in sacks. Um, interceptions. That's, that's a tough one. Um, I'll go a mere speed for interceptions. Yeah. The wind's and then, staying there. Yeah, the wings fan. He's gonna <laughs> snag a few that uh, the guy, the quarterback, thinks he can get the ball over him, and right. he won't. And then, uh, what was the third category? Uh, tackles. Uh, probably Jacoby Winman. Yeah, I agree. Because um, where somebody like Cal Halliday might come off in certain packages, maybe come off on third down or something. I think Winman's a guy you can play in every package, uh, whether it's a yeah. pass rusher or as a linebacker. So I think his versatility is the answer there. Yeah, and I think he, I think he was like tenth or eleventh in the country for total tackles, and I think sixth in the total country for yeah. uh, solo tackles last year. So he's going to be a guy that is just around the football a lot. Yeah. So I, I share your answers for interception and tackles for sacks. Um, I can't. I have a hard time choosing uh, between Bogler or Tank Brown of who's going to get the second most snaps at defensive end this year. And because of that, those guys are automatically eliminated just because I don't know who's going to be, I guess, the defense, the, the second best defensive end. So I kind of have to go with Jeff Petrowski there. Um, with how many good defensive tackles they have, I feel like they're going to rotate a lot. They're they're like five or six deep with really good defensive tackles. Um, so they'll keep them fresh. Um, but I think Petrowski is a guy that's going to have to be on the field quite a bit. And I think even though he doesn't have ideal measurables, he just has an endless motor and he's going to maximize uh, Brandon Jordan's teachings. And I think he's going to be my pick for sacks. Um, uh, we have a question here from Connor about Ruben Owens is uh, OV. Yeah, this, this, we're not doing recruiting questions this week, but I'll answer this one. Um, he still does have a fifth OV that he's deciding on. And Michigan State could get that, but as Corey said today on the Shaolin VIP board, that's not a recruitment that Michigan State is necessarily in a great spot for right now. But we'll have more coverage on that on the VIP board. But yeah, that's yeah. He, there's a chance Michigan State gets the fifth visit, but at the same time, it's not um, going to mean a ton unless Michigan State makes a big comeback there. Um, who will be the backups at safety, Corey? I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but. You have Jada Mangum, you were saying, and I guess I'll let you go on and elaborate there some more. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think Jaden Mangum, uh, he he's a pretty safe bet as one of them. Yeah. Uh, the second one, uh, probably uh, Brooks, the transfer from last year. I think yeah, he's, Kendall uh, Brooks. Yep, Kendall Brooks. I think he he's the leader in the clubhouse to 
be okay. the other backup safety. Sounds good. Uh, thanks for that question, Brad. Um, Jojo asks, are they going to redshirt uh, Alex Van Sumeren? Um, this is a question where it's complicated because Alex has the talent to play immediately, but Michigan State also has the defensive tackle depth where they won't need him to play immediately. So I guess the answer, my answer is at least that it could happen, but not because he's not ready to play. Corey, what's your answer there? Yeah, I, I, if he played, I think it would be like a couple snaps just here or there to get his feet wet, but there's not really a need there. You got so right. much talent and depth there. Yeah, exactly. You have um, obviously the starters of Simeon Barrow and um, Jacob Slade, and then you have uh, Jalen Hunt, assuming he's healthy uh, this year more than he was last year. You have Deshaun Mallory. You have Maverick Hanson, who I probably should have been the third name I said. Um, you have, um, I'm sure I'm missing other guys too, but that's five right there that are, pre- oh, Derek Harmon. So that's six guys right there that should be playing at a high level. So Michigan State might have one of the best defensive tackle rooms in the yeah. Big Ten at the very least, maybe even a top five to eight defensive tackle room in the nation. So that's probably the reason why I think Van Sermon might get redshirted and not because of any fault of his own. I, I think he'll have a very bright future at Michigan State. He has a, a lot of explosiveness for a guy that's 300 pounds, and I think he's going to be very productive here. Aiden, uh, thanks for the question. He's asking, who can we expect to be QB2? So um, I guess I'll say what I have said in the past here. Of, I think they'll go with Noah Kim for now, um, but that's just because Kate Nesm had a lot of time to be part of live scrimmages because they don't have a lot of offensive linemen healthy. But I think that's trending in Caton's way. When will he actually officially jump and become QB2? Uh, who's, who's to say? We also will never be able to see that depth chart of when that day comes. But I think right now the answer is Noah Kim. But I think the answer will become Caton Hauser at some point this year. Corey? I uh, agree with that. Yeah. No yeah. point of taking his red shirt off unless something yeah. crazy happened. Like Thorne had an injury really early in the year, mid year. Right. Trying to save your season. I think if you, yeah, I think if there's a scenario where Thorne gets hurt in the middle of a game, uh, you'll probably see Noah Kim come in. But I think if it's one of those things where Thorne is out for three, four weeks and it's not just a late game spell, then I think the staff at that point is where they'll kind of turn to Kate and Hauser. Cause I think Noah Kim is the perfect guy where if you're up 14 points and it's the third quarter and Peyton Thorne gets hurt, you can turn to Noah Kim and he's not going to have the offense turning it over and he's not going to be getting guys misaligned and committing false starts. I think he'll get you to the finish line, but if you actually have to go out and win a game or win two games or three games, I think that's where you would kind of turn to Kate and Hauser um, assuming that he comes along like we expect him to. And right now, he's doing a great job in the weight room. He's doing a great job on the field, uh, learning the playbook and developing leadership skills. And those things are really the only thing that he's uh, he needs to work on right at this point. So he's basically had a schedule, I would say. Um, the next question here from Brad, who do you think will be our toughest game after Ohio State on the schedule? Hmm, this is a good question. Um... I feel like I, I feel like I have to say the answer is Michigan um, because even though they do lose their three best players on defense, maybe their three best players on their on their entire team in Daxton Hill, Aiden Hutchinson, and David Ajabo, 
and I don't I don't fear their defense nearly as much as last year. I think that at the end of the day, they're a team that made the playoff, and they probably have some decent talent coming in to replace those guys. So I have to say Michigan. And James Franklin's still a guy that I don't have a lot of faith in in terms of in-game situations. And Sean Clifford is still their quarterback, and he's not going to be able to overcome James Franklin's coaching malpractice in-game. Uh, Drew Aller might. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the 2022 class, but I don't think he's going to be playing this year. So I think I'm going to have to say Michigan. I'm not too worried about Washington and Wisconsin. Uh, I would have to do a deep dive in the roster, but I have a hard time seeing them being a tougher game for Michigan State than Michigan. Corey, what do you think? Yeah, I would go with Michigan too, just because, I mean, too, you put in the rivalry and the intensity and right. uh, they're trying to finally get that win over Mel Tucker so you know, yeah. you're getting their best shot so uh, I, I give them number two behind uh, Ohio State obviously which is by far the clear cut right. number one. <laughs> right. Uh, another good question from Brad here is anyone else good enough to become the primary returner so we don't have to risk Jaden Reed? Uh, this is a good question and I think that this is something the staff uh, needs to prioritize in the fall camp of finding a returner not named Jaden Reed because he's your clear-cut wide receiver one right now, and you don't want him to get hurt. So, yeah, I guess, Corey, I'll, I'll let you go first. Um, I guess Justin White's a name that comes to my mind, but do you maybe see White as a reasonable returner? Is there somebody else that comes to your mind? What do you think about that? I think Justin White would be the first one that came to my mind uh, because he, he's probably the fastest guy on the team. Uh mm-hmm. And it kind of seemed like when they brought him here out of the portal, that if you looked at what Mel is looking for in most defensive backs, he doesn't fit that. He's a smaller guy. So I kind of felt he was brought in to be a returner, which we didn't really see a lot of last year. Uh, But I think he would be the most logical, easy name to come up with for that job. Yeah, I think that's a great role for him. Uh, you kind of saw his explosiveness when Scotty Hazleton used him uh, very well in those strategic situations as, as a corner blitzer. Um, obviously, he came unblocked, so you can't give him a lot of points for block shedding or anything like that, but you can give him a lot of points for his acceleration and explosiveness. So I think he'll be good in that regard. Um, people are mentioning him in the actual cornerback rotation. I don't know about that. I don't know if he has the ball skills. Um and maybe the anticipation and, and knowing how to defend certain route trees, but he can be a useful piece on this team. And I think return man is one of those ways. Um, Brad here again, forecast the highest draft pick for 2023. This is a very, very good question. Um, this, this I guess would be predicated upon, how good of a season uh, Michigan State has on defense uh, and I guess what the defensive backfield is looking like. But I guess, Corey, what do you think? What's what's your answer here? Um, I'd go either uh, Jacoby Winman, I think, uh, is kind of where I think I'm leaning towards just because I think he's that good. Right. <laughs> And he's, I agree. he's got the measurable, he's got the athleticism, but I could see, you know, obviously Jaden Reed or someone like that. But if I, if I had to guess today, I think it would be Winman just cause he's got everything the NFL is looking for. Yeah. I think Winman's a guy that has every single bit of production and every single bit of measurables. 
I don't know why he wasn't looked at uh, in a higher regard in terms of um, a draftable player in this past cycle, but I think he's just a guy that has it all. And then um, Aaron Brule is not my answer for this question, but he was a guy that Matt Miller gave a second round grade prior to this past season at Mississippi state. He was underwhelming this year. No uh, other way to put that, but that's a guy that at one point had it in him to be a second round pick after playing an SEC schedule as a sophomore. So very uh, intriguing guy there as well. Um, but yeah, I think um, with Reed, he's kind of just capped um, artificially because his size, and I don't think he's going to test any faster than a four or five. And I, you know, the NFL is weird and they just try to take the long fast guys. And unless you're Henry Rugg speed or, or that kind of speed, um, they're, they're just weird about projections. So I think he'll probably be like capped as like a fourth round pick, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you see some physical specimens like Jacoby Winman, And I think they, that would be my answer. And then even a guy like Amir speed, like his stock is probably going to be, people are going to look at him in a skeptical way, just cause I think he's a fifth year senior. Um, so you have a guy that is pretty old in terms of, um, NFL stock, but I think he's a guy that has all the measurables. And if he has, 12 games of film as a starter here, three games of film as a starter at Georgia. Teams have a complete picture of what his talent level is, and they can make a full assessment. I don't think he's going to go in the third round. Maybe like I might think Jacoby Winman could, but I, I think that he's somebody that could get drafted here, whereas if he wasn't really on the draft picture, um, if he stayed at Georgia another year. Um, the next question, will Thorne have a receiving touchdown this year? Uh, thanks for the question, Jason. Um, I guess this is asking, is Jay Johnson creative enough to call the Philly special? <laughs> I think uh, I think he has a better chance of being on the receiving end of a trick play this year um, because last year a lot of the trick plays were using the running game and using Kenneth Walker in a flea flicker, and that's where all the, the trick plays were kind of based out of. But, yeah, I think uh, you can see some different trick plays this year and maybe not so much the flea flicker unless Jerick Broussard is just running all up and down defenses. Yeah, he he, he had there. the he had that really good catch. Uh, he did. Thorn did, did last year, but uh, I, I'll go with no, just because <laughs> right. uh, you're depending on the passing game more this year than last year, and you don't need yeah. to take the necessary shot. Right. <laughs> uh, Brad again here. Which player will BT Jordan help the most this year? I think the answer for me is going to be one of those two guys that have a lot of potential but don't have a lot of proven. Um, production, and that would be either Tank Brown or Chris Bogle, just because they have the measurables. So somebody like Jeff Petrowski will milk every bit of knowledge out of BT Jordan, and he will maximize it, but he's still limited a little bit by his frame. But um, I think for me, I will just go with Bogle. He has that prototypical size. He has probably even the motor. He just was out of position and was not used as a dedicated down lineman. And now if he is in that role and he does get concentrated pass rushing training, I would say he can benefit the most, but I'm still skeptical on saying he would get the second most snaps at defensive end. And um, Tank has hurt a little bit, so maybe that's why he, has, he won't develop as much this offseason. But I guess, Corey, what do you think, man? Uh, I'd say Bogle has the, the most to gain, I guess, that he'll because his ceiling is uh, so high and he's right got a lot to prove. I'd say uh, maybe Simeon Barrow and Jacob Slade, they're That's both true. really good players, uh, but he could turn them to that next level of a great player, you know, where, 
where maybe their names start coming up in that discussion of the NFL draft. Uh, so I'd say as far as where you can take them from point A to B, it would be Bogle, but t- maybe taking some great players, I would go with Barrow and Slade, and I think he's going to take their game up a whole nother level. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I didn't think of that. That's a good idea to um, kind of think about Brandon Jordan could help an interior player become a better pass rusher because it's not easy for defensive tackles to um, effectively rush the passer. Obviously, they are in a condensed space. They don't have as much creativity and freedom of movement as a defensive end. So the guys in the NFL that you see get the big money at defensive tackle, it's that rare few that can also rush the passer and are not just plugging holes. And that's hard to do. So maybe BT Jordan can get that out of uh, the DTs here at Michigan State at a higher level. And that would be – that's a good answer, Corey. Um, Kyle Wood asks, I love uh, Winman and Brule, but are we really going to see Darius Snow come off the field and play backup snaps? Uh, good, good question, Kyle. Um, it's hard to say. I guess you have to figure out – how good Brule is going to be this year and whether it's going to be his uh, second round NFL draft pick grade version of him, or if it's going to be last year's version, if it's last year's version, um, I think Darius Snow could be playing more snaps than him. If it's the, the version of him that was good enough to play an SEC schedule as a sophomore and get a second round grade, I think, yeah, absolutely. Darius Snow is going to be playing second fiddle to him in that regard. So it's hard to say there in, in regards to which version of Brulee we're going to get, um, but that's really what that hinges on. And also Cal Halliday's in that mix in addition to Winman, and I think Halliday's better than Snow. I think Snow's a more sure-handed tackler, but Snow kind of got lost quite a bit. Maybe that was because it was harder for him to play out in space where he was as a thumper, as a box safety. Maybe he'll be better suited as a linebacker. I think he will be, especially because his speed is more suited for linebacker and not back out there. So, Corey, what do you think there? I guess it's it's hard to answer without knowing what version of some of these guys you're going to get, but I don't think it's that unfathomable to say that Darius Snow is not better not a better linebacker than some of these guys. Yeah, I think uh, they'll find a role for him because he's a good football player. He knows what he's doing. He makes plays mm-hmm. and all that. But, but at the end of the day, uh, like I, we just listed Winman as the the most the highest draft pick most likely so that's one spot Cal Halliday is not going anywhere uh then you have Brule and Snow so I think you'll see all four of those linebackers play a lot so while he might not be a starter he will still get meaningful reps and snaps and opportunities yeah. just like the other three so you'll yeah. see him out there they can get creative with him where in certain downs maybe they do throw him back in his old nickel position to or get the extra linebacker out there where he can be maybe a little more plus in coverage at the linebacker spot, you know? So they'll find ways to get him on the field because he is a good football player. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, Then the next question we have here, um, Tuck Stang is asking, what are your season record projections? Uh, Thanks for the question, Tuck Stang. I actually want to pull up the Vegas line uh, when I answer this question, if they're published. I actually don't know if they are published, actually. But um, so it really depends on if the offensive line gets any injuries. Uh, I guess even just the offensive tackles, I should say. Um, If they don't have an injury, this team doesn't have a lot of holes. And the team as a whole should be better than it was last year. 
obviously at the running back position, it will downgrade and maybe the defensive end position will be a little more uncertain, but top to bottom next year's roster is better than the previous year's roster. I don't think they're going to win 12 games, obviously, just because of, of those question marks of how are the running backs going to produce? How are they going to overcome the lack of offensive line depth? But if there are no injuries to offensive tackles, I think this team could win 10 games again. Um, I think uh, I expect Michigan State to beat Michigan again this year. Um, I expect them to lose to Ohio State this year. Um, those are the two toughest games on the schedule. I can see them dropping a game to whoever their third hardest opponent is, whether you want to say that's Penn State or Wisconsin. Um, I'd probably go Penn State there. Um, I guess you could even put Washington there. So I can see them losing their third hardest game possibly of whoever that is. And then the question is, are they going to lose to a team like last year where they lost to a Purdue? Are they going to lose to a Minnesota? Are they going to lose to an Indiana? Um, so if they have an injured offensive tackle, they could lose three, four games. They, they could go eight and four. Um, but I think 10 and two is where I would put them if they do not have an offensive tackle injury. So, Corey, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, someone asked me that yesterday, and I said I have them kind of like I did this year where they're in that nine to 11 win range in the regular season uh, where you have things go right like that you did last year. They win 11 uh, or 10, I guess, in the regular season. And then uh, right. if you have – because everybody's going to have a bad game, they're going to have that bad game that you got to find a way to win. Yeah. But if you don't win that, then that maybe knocks you down to nine. So I, I think they're somewhere like last season where they're in that nine to 11 range uh, – with the wins, yeah. 12, I guess, if if you count a bowl game, yeah. everything went perfect. But uh, I'd, I'd say it's pretty similar to what I projected last year. Right, yep. Um, we have um, a question here from uh, Justin. It says, can you tell us about phase two on the football building expansion? What do you know will be in that plan? Uh, Corey, I'll let you start talking here because I'm going to pull up a document, and uh, you know which document I'm talking about. Um, yeah. That kind of hints at what's in store, but you probably have a better memory of what you were. Yeah, so for for me, it was uh, they're going to expand the weight room. That's going to be two stories. There's going to be an area for them to eat. Uh, there's going to be a recruiting area uh, where that's supposed to be kind of the centerpiece and just a, a really good look for attracting recruits. Uh, I think they're going to do a little bit of a uh, redoing some of the meeting rooms and offices a little bit. Um, there's going to be a nutrition area. Uh, I think a sports science area in there. So it's kind of a, what I've gotten from people that I've talked to around the country uh, and even some of the recruits and their parents, They, when they see the, the drawings and the renderings and the videos, uh, they've all said, this is like an SEC facility. There's not, you don't really see this up here in the Big Ten. So uh, the returns that I'm hearing from recruits and their parents that have been all over the country, they they think that uh, it's going to be kind of a huge deal in an SEC-style type of uh, outlook that they have going. Uh, you got the video boards all over. They're going to be highlighting everything. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think those are the safe ones is – Oh, a new locker room too. They're getting a new locker room. I almost left that one out. 
so a, a lot of a lot of big changes are coming and uh it's gonna help elevate the program uh not even only recruiting which that's obviously paid dividends we hear guys talk about that in every uh interview they do after a visit but it's going to help the players too just because you're you're improving the equipment and the weight room and all of that stuff yeah um i kind of had a technical difficulty there so i didn't hear most of your answer but i it sounds like you were basically getting to all the points that i was going to find in the document yeah. But yeah the recruiting room and things of that nature so i'm sure you hit all those points and i don't need to accidentally repeat yeah. anything but yeah it's yeah. going to be exciting times um so we have here the next question um uh, Justin asked here, favorite college football stadium other than Spartan Stadium? Uh, for me, that's going to be Beaver Stadium, uh, Penn State. That's uh, My dad graduated from there, so I've been there. I've taken in a whiteout game there uh, recently for the whiteout, uh, or uh, the whiteout game against Auburn. I've uh, been there for a spring game, so that's uh, a stadium that I'm familiar with. I, I think it's better than the big house. Uh, and just in terms of comparing stadiums that have a high uh, attendance numbers, their, their stadium is built vertically as well. So the sound doesn't escape like the big house, but it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty unreal scene over there. So that's my yeah, answer. Penn State, for, Penn State State for me too. So. For sure. So, and then another uh, good question from Aiden here. Uh, the fan survey from Colton Pouncey had Jay Johnson as the best assistant do you agree? And is there anyone that you think is underrated? Um, yeah, I, uh, I actually voted in that survey and uh, Jay Johnson was my pick. I think what he did last year, people will discount just because Kenneth Walker was here. And just like everyone says about anything related to Michigan State's last year season, it's, oh, that was because of Kenneth Walker. Uh, whether it's Peyton Thorne, whether it's Mel Tucker's record, wh- whatever it is, that's the go-to thing. And in some cases it is true. But when it comes to Jay Johnson, the production he got out of that offense, not every offense coordinator is going to be able to get that just if you hand him Kenneth Walker. There was a lot of good play calling there. I think there's still certain areas where I wish that Jay would be a little riskier, um, especially um, like a second and 14 um, or, or a third and 12 sort of thing where they kind of play it safe. But Everybody has their way of doing things. Everyone has their mentality and their thinking, and you're not going to get somebody to change that in a drastic way. But other than that, I think he's a he's a great, great coach. I think he's one of the smartest people on that entire staff, if not in the Big Ten. And all the quarterback recruits that talk to him cannot speak more highly of him, even the ones that don't commit to Michigan State, uh, whether it's an A.J. Duffy or a Nico Markiel. And we talk to these guys off the record. Like, Jay Johnson is, like – is just a huge appealing factor to these recruits. And they say he's one of the smartest people they've talked to. Uh, Corey, I'll let you weigh in on Jay Johnson and then who you think is an underrated coach. So this is not in a recruiting way. I guess I probably shouldn't have mentioned uh, that part of the Jay Johnson side of things. But so this question was as a coach, there was a different question that was about as a recruiter. Yeah, I I go uh, as a coach. I'd probably agree right now that Jay Johnson is uh, the guy I think some some of the other coaches that are good maybe are in a tougher spot where like uh, Cap you know he he wasn't really yeah <laughs> given a ton so it's hard hard to, you know he made that a functional line last mm-hmm. year which we haven't seen at yeah. Michigan State in a while so so you give him a lot of credit I think uh, 
Ted Gilmore, uh, you know, he hasn't really had anything to work with, so it's hard to yeah, hard to do that. I, I mean, I think Courtney Hawkins, I think the oh, wide yeah. receivers have improved immensely under him. Yeah. They actually know how to block, uh, which was the weirdest thing the last few years of the previous tenure. Like, those guys didn't know how to block, and even though they were getting slower, bigger <laughs> wide receivers, so that didn't make yeah. sense. So, I mean, I think he's doing good. Uh Scotty Hazelton like knows more football than uh, about anybody. He's an intense guy, but I mean, at the same time, you got to have the the pieces. So I mean, some of it's weighted in a different way. Uh, so you're seeing guys that yeah. you know what Harlan Barnett can do, but you know, it's the same thing. You got to get the talent there. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess I guess I would go with Courtney Hawkins as the the sleeper pick. Yeah, me too. I think he's improved that unit immensely in his time here. Hawk is my answer for most underrated coach. And I, I know Aiden didn't ask about this, but it was the next question of Colton survey and it was most underrated recruiter or, or his best recruiter. So I would spend it off and I would answer that. Um, coach Hawkins is also my most underrated recruiter. So he's my most underrated coach, most underrated recruiter. And you got to think about last year, he landed Keon Coleman. He was given one slot to use on a receiver since Michigan State wasn't going to be losing anybody between their two and five season and last year's season. So he was given one slot and he maximized that by landing Keon. Then this past year, he landed Antonio Gates. He landed uh, Jeremy Bernard. And then he landed Tyrell Henry, who I think ended up being the best in-state receiver. They made the correct evaluation to prioritize him over Tayshawn Trent. And then he went ahead and landed Jerron Glover, who I know you're you're higher on him uh, than I am. But, like, think about that. Like, he's your third or fourth, probably third, I would say. I'd say he's probably a bit ahead of Henry. But, like, he's your third option, and he was playing well against good competition down there in Florida. So he's a very underrated recruiter. And um, he doesn't have a lot of slots this year. Um, we'll see how many he, he ends up taking. But, I think uh, probably only one. Honestly. Yeah. So then uh, the next question here, is Broussard going to be a candidate for some running back catches? In 2019, the Colorado running back under Jay Johnson had 27 catches. Good question, Tuck Stang. Um, I think, yeah, I think I saw in Broussard's tape much more catches from him than I saw out of Kenneth Walker at Wake Forest. So coming in to begin with, I think I expect him to have more catches than Kenneth Walker had last year. How many more? I cannot say, but I, I think that the premise of your question is correct. Jay has thrown to running backs in the past. Um, and Jarek is somebody that has caught running catches in the past. I know um, what I need to go figure out is how many catches he had from Jay, unless your number of 27, that's what you're saying, is he was the Colorado running back. Um, I don't know if you're saying Jarek himself or all Colorado running backs, but I want to go compare how many Jarek had out of the backfield when Jay was calling plays, and then I kind of want to project back to how many Kenneth had and kind of see and go from there. But your premise to believe that he'll be more active out of the backfield than Kenneth is correct. Corey, anything to add there? Uh, hopefully. I mean, I think it's just a, <laughs> a, a wrinkle that uh, that is one of the one few things that are kind of lacking right now. But I think, I, I think uh, that's something that you're going to want to see, and it's something good for uh, – when it comes to the NFL draft too, because I think that's true. unfairly, I think Kenneth Walker got 
slightly dinged for that just because he didn't it's not that he couldn't do it it's just he didn't have a lot of it on tape so yeah i think that's a, i think that's a spot where the offense can evolve is getting the running back more involved in the passing game yeah i remember i wrote an article last year of three things i would like to see michigan state do on offense um after i believe i said after the bye week um but yeah it was i had a hard time writing that because that was the most efficient Michigan State offense in like a decade. But uh, the one thing that I that I kind of wrote the article because of was number one reason was I want to see more uh, catches from the running backs. I want to see uh, wheel routes. I want to see um, halfback angle routes and, and things of that nature. So that's really the only real criticism I had of Jay last year. So, uh, yeah, I would like to see a little more of that. That's I agree with you, Corey. Uh, Jason with a question, which players will lead in rushing yards, receiving yards, and total touchdowns? Uh, you can go Broussard, ahead here first. Broussard, Reed, and uh, Thorne will be the <laughs> the total touchdowns, if right. I, unless you're trying to have me not cheat and say out of the position players. Yeah, quarterback, we'll, yeah uh, we'll, we'll, say a pos- we'll say I'm a different player than a quarterback. Uh, I'll go with uh, Reed. Yeah, me too. It's just because even if we agree that Jarek is going to be the more effective running back because of his lateral mobility, I can also see Jalen Berger being a better red zone running back. So you just don't know how those carries are going to get divided up and where. So it's the answer just has to be read, I guess, just because of that regard. Um, if we can't use Thorne as the answer. So yeah, Broussard, read, read. Um, Jason is asking me, would you want the Eagles to draft Peyton Thorne in the draft next year? Um, uh, if the Eagles are picking quarterback in next year's draft, I need Howie Roseman to trade everything he has to the top three, and I need Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I'm not settling for any quarterback other than those two. Um, I think Thorne is a good college quarterback. Um, there are some traits that I would need to see developed this upcoming year, some pre-snap things that you see guys like Stroud doing already in terms of moving coverages, seeing the difference between man and zone beforehand, how they use motion, how they use um, even checkdowns. Like you, you see Peyton Thorne, um, he has composure. Like he doesn't just go ahead and throw interceptions anytime he's blitzed and stuff. But sometimes the selection of which route he goes to under which circumstances has a little to be desired. I think he's a really good deep ball passer in terms of accuracy and completion percentage, but the ball does take a while to get there. So there are some things that I don't think will translate to the NFL, um, but I think he's a, he's a good college quarterback, and I think he will get drafted. It's not like he's not going to get drafted, but um, it wouldn't be as a projection of him being a starter in the NFL. And as someone that's not the biggest believer in Jalen Hurts right now, that's what I need for my Eagles, a starter. Um, J- uh, Corey, I guess anything you want to add about Peyton's no, NFL? No, you're, okay. you're good. You get that? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Jason is asking, will this year's corner group be better in man coverage than last year? Any chance we see Brantley move inside the nickel? Uh, thanks for the question, Jason. It's a good one. I would say, yeah, I want to see Brantley move inside the nickel. I would rather him start there than uh, Chester Kimbrough, but um, I guess the staff will know better there of how it goes in the fall. But he's also still – I think he just got cleared for full practice, so hopefully he's not behind. But that's that's my hope there. And my answer to will they be better in man coverage, I would say absolutely. With the addition of speed and Marky Lowry already being good in man but just hit injured last year and Ronald better as the year went on, I would say the answer is definitely yes. Corey? Yeah, and I'll say everything that Justin said. And then I'll also add that the corners actually did get better last year. Uh 
once Mel took over coaching the position. Oh, that's and, true. And late and that late in the year, the corners actually kind of held their own. It was the safeties that struggled. So, so I, I expect the the unit as a whole to get better because they got better last year, and I think the talent level's higher. And I yeah. agree. I think Brantley's a guy that could definitely go inside nickel, and I think Lowry could. Uh, I think a lot of guys could. So they got more flexibility this year. Yeah, I have high hopes for the corners if I didn't make that clear when we were talking about the defense. Like, you have Lowry who, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it's selective memory, but every time I remember, remember Lowry in coverage while healthy, he was just in the guy's grill. He was not giving up a lot of space. He was very physical, probably too physical, but it's it's the Big Ten and it's called a little differently than some other conferences. So I think he's just a guy that I'm high on. Um, and then Ronald, yeah, he was getting better and better. Unfortunately, Ronald and Marquis were both injured um, in that Purdue game and uh, the Ohio State games. But like you said, they as a room were getting better when Mel took over instead of Travaris Tillman and kind of moved him to the side. So, yeah, just a lot of excitement for for the cornerbacks this year. Um, We have Justin here asking, could we see Ben Van Sermon or Joyner possibly take on the Connor Connor Hayward role uh, for this season? I think Ben Van Sumeran would have been um, very good at that role, but he really committed to um, the linebacker position some more, um, got even more, uh, got into even better physical shape. Now he's faster, I think I heard. Um, but I think maybe he'll find an, a niche for himself as a stand-up edge rusher. Uh, basically, just like I was saying, they could use Winman in a 4-2-5 with one of the four being a stand-up edge. Um, he could be his backup in that sort of an alignment. So I think he's in the two deep if there is a role such as a stand-up edge rusher. So I think he's going to stay on defense, even though I think he would have been a good H-back. I think Joyner, he could catch, like Corey was saying, he's elite. But a lot of Hayward's role in that area was blocking. And I know Joyner's tall. I think he's 6'4", but he's not that big uh, in terms of mass. So I, I think that'd be a slightly different role, Corey. Yeah, um, I think uh, Joiner could get it to some extent. Uh, yeah. Like he, it'd be different, but like he could do that. Ben Benjamin is not going off of yeah. defense, so that's he's not going to be there. But mm-hmm. so, so you can get you could. That's how I was talking about earlier, where you got to find a, a way to utilize Joiner's ability to catch out of the backfield, right. whether that's H back or running back, because uh, I think he'll make the offense more dynamic. But yeah. Uh, that's up to them putting it in the that's playbook. That's true. Ben, the H-back role isn't as concrete as, I guess, me comparing it to, to Hayward and how often he's used to block. It can be used in other yeah. ways, too. So, yeah, I guess I can yeah, – I, I would say that there's a better chance Joyner has a contribution in H-back role than as an actual running back. I think there's a very, very slim chance he does much as a between-the-tackles running back. So that's probably his only hope, so I can see, I can see that. Uh, Brad asks, do we see one of Winman or Brule becoming a designated pass, ru- pass rusher on third and long? Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking uh, when I wrote my depth chart piece. I don't know um, if that's even something they want to do. Maybe they'll just come out in their same uh, 4-2 as last year, and they'll just make a starter out of Bogle or Tank. I think Bogle probably. And that's probably what's most likely is that's what they're going to do. That was more of me wanting to see the other version of having a designated stand-up pass rush linebacker. But, yeah, I, I think you can see it. But that's more of my theory and my best way to use all the talent in the linebacker room as opposed to theirs. 
I think we'll have a better answer to that in the fall. Corey? Yeah, I, I think you'll see them get utilized in some role to get yeah. after the quarterback. You saw Hazleton get more aggressive as the year went on last year, and now you got some guys that are made for that role. Oh, actually, yeah, Brad's question said on third and long. So, yeah, the answer to that is definitely yes. I was answering as if that would be a permanent position for them. But, yeah, on third and long, absolutely. Um, how do you think we will compete against Ohio State this year? I know you said we will lose, but will it be 49 nothing at halftime? Um, no, I don't think not, so. I think yeah. last year was a perfect storm with a lot of things in that Ohio State wide receiver room. It wasn't yeah. one or two guys. It was three or four guys that were just absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, they lost uh, Garrett Wilson. They lost uh, Olave. So, I mean, you still have uh, Smith Ajabo that is legit, and I think Harrison's going to be good, but he's a different kind of good. Uh, so, I mean, the wide receiver room is still talented yeah, for Ohio State. A, a but, make, uh, Buka, yeah. but, but, like, last year's Ohio State off, or wide receiver room was, like, an all-timer. Yeah. <laughs> The, 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 yeah, like the other thing was like the perfect storm. Like Kenneth Walker could hardly walk. Um, he, yeah, he had a few carries and people were saying, why didn't he get more touches early when it was close? But he just couldn't walk. Um, you had all of the corners that were playing were basically limping. Uh, the safeties were probably even hurt more than the corners, I should say. Um, cause Gross and Henderson, they couldn't cover anybody back there and they were, they were hurt. They were hurt. Uh, shortly after the Michigan game, and they played pretty much the last three, four games of the season hurt. Um, but, yeah, so they're probably not going to be as decimated with injuries in the entire defensive backfield like that, most likely. Um, hopefully their running back won't be completely limping the whole time. And Michigan State should be on a much more even playing field. The two things that concern me are, like I said, if they go into that game with one of their starting offensive tackles out, I can see a very hard time for the offense to move the ball, especially um, given that you don't have Kenneth Walker there now. And then the other thing that concerns me is Jim Knowles is a way better defensive coordinator than who Ohio State had last year. Um, I think they they switched play callers in the middle of the season. But at the end of the day, they they don't have an elite elite edge rusher like a Bosa brother. Um, Tyreek Hill, I believe, just went to the NFL. So, I think their talent in the defensive side of things is down a little bit, but they have a much better defensive coordinator. But the reason I don't think it should be that bad as last year is Michigan State's entire defense was just decimated, as was Walker. And Michigan State has much more depth this year to handle that other than an offensive tackle. Yeah, and and you just don't lose games like that too often, even if you are are outmatched. I think that was just uh, one of those tough ones. Yeah, um, yeah, and then Jason uh, said that right there of uh, we should have more than one healthy corner. Um, JoJo said, I know Malik Carr mentioned if he may enter the draft depending on the year. Are they projected to run a lot of two tight end sets, or will he be alternating snaps with Barker? Um, he's got a lot to learn yeah, before he I, worries about leaving early. Yeah, he uh, right now he needs to worry about making sure that um, Jack Nickel doesn't pass him up and that he um, rises above Tyler Hunt on the depth chart because um, the, the effort and consistency that you need um, in practice to play for Mel Tucker um, is at a certain standard. And um, I would say that, that he has the fall camp to – show that sort of drive and that um, desire to get better. And um, especially if he can't block, then 
he's going to be a liability. So, uh, I, like I said, I don't want to hamper on that too much because he has fall camp in front of him. But right now, it's too early for him to be even thinking about it. He's got, he's got all the physical tools to yeah. get to that point. And it's up to him to, yeah. to, to make those happen. Yeah. <laughs> to, like, I to, think to create yeah. that dream and make I, it a reality. Yeah. Like, I think he can be the third round, fourth round draft pick version of Kyle Pitts if he puts it all together. Yeah, because um, the plays that you saw him make last year, there's not 10 guys in college football that can make some of those catch and runs that he made. Yeah. But then you got to say, why are you not doing this all the time? And mm-hmm. that comes down to putting in the work and uh, practice and outside of practice even, getting in them extra things and just doing the little things right. uh, that it takes to to be great. Like, it's not like uh, – as you keep going up a level, you don't just show up anymore. Like little league, you could show up, you're better. High school, you could <laughs> right. show up, you are better. College is not like that. NFL is yeah. definitely not like that. So now it's about saying those meeting rooms, the blocking schemes, uh, every rep you take, jump in line, you know, doing all all of the little things to realize the potential that he does have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We'll probably go for another five minutes. I know another question just came in, so get some more questions in here, and we'll wrap it up at at 10.30. So um, Matt, thanks for the question. He asked, is the 4-2-5 still going to be our base D, or will we run some 4-3 now with more athletic linebackers who can cover? This is a great question. This Just thinking about this question kind of excites me about this upcoming year's defense. Um, so kind of like I was touching on earlier, we kind of have a situation where there's a lot of good linebackers and the defensive ends are kind of a question mark. So like I wrote for my defensive uh, depth chart piece, like I went with a formation that personnel wise is a three, three, five, but a lineup formation wise is a four, two, five. So it's a traditional down defensive end in Petrowski. And then the other side defensive end is really a linebacker as a stand-up edge rusher. So ideally, that's what I would like to see. That's what Penn State did last year with Jesse Lucada. He was a linebacker, but he was a stand-up defensive end the entire year. Every every situation, it wasn't just a third down thing. So that is kind of what I think they would be able to um, – it'll help the linebacker rotation. More guys will get snaps. Winman absolutely has the ability to play that position because he was a defensive end at UNLV for two years, was an all-conference one. I think he was all-conference third team as a defensive end, then moved to traditional inside linebacker and was all-conference second team. So he's not just one of these guys that are kind of good at both roles. He was all-conference as a down defensive end and as a traditional linebacker. So I think that really, really could work uh, as a whole year thing. Um, I don't think they'll go 4-3. I don't think we'll have two defensive ends, traditional ones, and three linebackers. Maybe if they were playing Wisconsin um, like every week, but maybe for that one week you could see it, but I don't think I don't think a 4-3 per se is going to be in the fold. Corey? Uh, yeah, I agree with what you said. I think it would be more likely to go to like a 3-3-5 three, three, than a 4-3, most likely outside of certain matchups. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think four two five will be the base, but they'll make they'll do some things with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because because if you have a four three or more with more athletic linebackers that can cover, like you were saying, at that point you would rather just leverage all of the new corners that you have. And 
you would just rather have the the four two five where where you can get some real coverage out of that instead of just having linebackers do some extra work in that regard. But um, Aiden, uh, probably my favorite question here: What sled do you want to show out at Spartan Stadium next year? So shout out to Mo and those guys for getting T Grizzly there for the spring game. I think uh, now you have to aim, set your sights a little higher. You got one of the bigger celebrities in the Midwest there, um, at least uh, among that age group. Um, now you kind of need to shoot national. So I need Michigan State to leverage some of their Georgia ties. I need them to get Lil Baby up here, and I need him to be on the sideline for one of these home games. I think that's my answer there. Um, I would say Drake, but I think he's in a different level of stardom, and I don't think he's just appearing at these kind of games other than when he has that personal connection with John Calipari. But my answer is Lil Baby. Corey, what about you? Um, well, get Rick Ross up here and <laughs> and we'll let him put the the white yard markers down. <laughs> like, like, Sounds that, good. That, that'll, that'll be the style job we can have Malik Spencer's connection make that happen oh that's true yeah Malik Spencer's dad big block um yeah Michigan State has some has some solid ties down in that uh Georgia scene and uh I know Ross is from Miami but Malik Spencer's dad uh works closely with with Rose um Justin asked, are we going to add a portal tackle possibly? Uh, Corey touched on this earlier. <laughs> yep, that's the goal. It's uh, At this point, I guess there's really no rush as long as he's here by, by fall camp. But options are slim, but they're trying. They're looking. They're, they're in talks with a lot of guys, but one is not so much better than the other that they're just rushing to lock some of these guys down. Might as well get them on campus. Might as well let the entire admissions process play out. Um, so that's kind of just the vibe there, but they're definitely trying. Um, Guts asked, OSC score prediction. With no offensive tackle hurt. Um, I would say that this depends on how the uh, OSC wide receivers are looking outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba. I, I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is good, but I, I think Amika Abuka is very, very good. He is somebody that can be um, a first-round pick, I think. And then you also have Julian Fleming, who's a little older, but he has—he's been a late bloomer, but he could come up. But if they don't have a wide receiver good, room as good as last year, Michigan State's not nearly as crippled as last year. Um, I think Michigan State could lose by 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 maybe two touchdowns. So yeah. still not too reassuring. But well, yeah, probably not even wise to make a prediction at this point yeah. since we're so many months away. Uh, the new kicker, how's the new kicker doing? Uh, he's in Texas still, so yeah. he hasn't came up on campus yet, but Jack Stone. Uh, but he, he's yeah. a good one. He's a good recruit, so he should be yeah. fine. Yep. Plus, you got to look at it like, yeah, so he's a true freshman. That's concerning. He hasn't kicked in high-pressure situations. But, like, you have to compare him to what, what the trade-off is of, like, who <laughs> Michigan State just lost. And Palgan was very solid early in his career, but um, he was not the most reliable kicker towards the end here. And I know he got that record um, because he kicked like six years here. But um, at the end of the, at the time, uh, I haven't looked at his statistics of what his percentages were, but I was kind of nervous anytime Coglin would kick, to be honest. So I don't he, think he that. He had a lot of injuries for a kicker too, that's true. which was kind of weird and kind of yeah. derailed him. But yeah. Your, I mean, your body breaks down when you're old. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> That he doesn't have a huge bar to reach, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Because Matt was pretty much unusable 
for the second half of the season because of injuries. So yeah, uh, Gut said get baby trout on campus. Uh, I would not be opposed, but I think uh, like I was saying, we got to shoot national now. We we got the Detroit scene represented with T Grizzly, um, but I like where your head is at. And then the last question here, um, we have JoJo saying, how much playing time do you think Jeremy or Gates can get? Uh, we touched on this a little bit with the wide receiver room. I think Jeremy, at worst, is going to be wide receiver five this year. Um, I think throughout the season he could even take over wide receiver four and take that from Tor- Montori Foster. But, I, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that you wait and wait and eventually hope to see in just garbage time. I think he's a guy that can play real minute, uh, uh, real snaps. And, uh, Corey, like you were saying, Gates, he, he's a guy that has the pedigree. He, he's going to be able to get some good coaching here, and, and I don't think he'll play as much as Bernard. Um, I think Bernard's going to play significantly more than Gates freshman year, but I think you'll see Gates a little bit. Yeah, I think they both have every shot in the world to take that fourth and fifth spot, and they're probably the four, five, six, really. And somewhere in that range anyway so you'll see them but how much you see them depends on uh what they do when they get their chances and how much do you need them because you don't want to just play guys to play them uh but i think i think bernard i think he will get the red shirt pulled off of him i think he he'll yeah. come in ready enough plus being an early enrollee so he's kind of got it figured out he's been in the weight room so my guess would be that Bernard doesn't redshirt and Gates might redshirt, but he would yes. play in the maximum four games. I agree. That's that's a good way of wording it. I think uh, I expect Bernard to play against Washington. I don't know how many snaps. I don't know how often. I, I, I would just say I expect him to play against Washington. We know the story there. Corey and I have talked about it on the podcast. Um, how he um, got out of his letter of intent, came to Michigan State. Um, he wasn't even told that his uh, wide receivers coach was leaving Washington until the family got in a car and drove all the way to Washington from their home in Vegas. Um, Bernard has never, never spoken ill of Washington, but you know that his goal is to play in that game. And Mel Tucker is going to recognize that chip on his shoulder, I think. And he'll, since we're already assuming he's in the two deep, I don't think it's that much of a reach to say that that's a game where he gets quite a few snaps. I, th- I think he'll be ready. So um, I think I think that about does it. Uh, I wanted to thank you guys for joining. This is the first room. We were above 100 people for most of it. That I was not expecting. I, I thought it was going to be um, a, a slow, slow build to 100. Um, I know a lot of you probably didn't have Spotify Live before this. I didn't even have Spotify Live, um, I would say, more than a month ago. So really, really appreciate you guys making the first room that we've done much more successful than I thought. Like I said, we're going to do this for any time there's a commitment. We're going to try to do at least – we're going to try to do four of these for each of the weekends in June. We're going to try to do a pregame one for every single game, maybe a Thursday or a Friday thing, um, and then maybe a Sunday or a Monday thing to recap every game. And then I guess anytime there's any other random breaking news. So – Corey, any final thoughts? No, just thank you guys all for listening to us and uh, subscribing to us at uh, uh, Spartan Tailgate. Uh, we definitely appreciate everything you guys do for us, and uh, you guys make it fun for us too. So uh, definitely just keep stick with us, and the product will continue to get even better for you. 
Yeah, ninety-nine percent of the contributions that we put out—it's not what you see on Twitter. It's the stuff on the message boards that we don't tweet out, and so that's where really most of our work is. Um, random message board posts, not articles, not any sort of um, big pieces that get tweeted out. So definitely check out the Shaw Lane VIP board. Um, a lot of the questions that I get uh, tweeted at me on Twitter. Almost every single one of them I've answered on the VIP board a couple weeks before that. So um, if you find yourself wondering about the state of things, whether it's uh, depth charts, whether it's recruiting, chances are if you go to the Shawlane VIP board, your answer will be there. And feel free to ask those questions over on the board, even if they're repetitive. So thanks, guys, for joining. And we will see you next week when we do the recruiting version of this sort of a room where we will review and recap um, all the visitors we've reported on, all of the visitors that are publicly available. And then at the end, just like we did today, answer your questions for quite a bit of time. So that's the format that you can expect there. We'll get that date here cho chosen soon. But really, really appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time.